You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and this is Dr. Alonso Osorio, and I'm here with my colleague, Dr. Daniela Rodriguez, my fellow Colombian, who has been now involved in this process of participating in this phenomenal series of residency interviewing skills. And we have had a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for being part of this, Dr. Rodriguez. <laughs> no, thank you for inviting me. It's been nerve-wracking. I never thought myself seeing myself as a resident. So just to kind of sync up for the people that have not keep up with the prior episodes, what we're doing is going through some of the toughest or most common interviewing questions. We're going to jump on episode 35 and potentially discuss some of the behavioral questions. What is a behavioral question? A behavioral question is that one that to make the program aware and to see if you're the right person to be there. You want to make sure you're not a criminal, that you're not a freak, that you're a responsible person, that you have no red flags, are not going to have like a mental breakdown during residency program, or that you're not going to be coming up with issues about interaction, loyalty, irreverence, and lack of professionalism, issues with interactions with the patients, pretty much everything and anything that could make you a bad apple that they want to get rid of you. And believe me, as hard as it is to find a residency position, it's also hard to get rid of you. So if you ever get brought into the residency program director's office and they said that they want to talk about certain important issues that is going to be placed in your residency personal file, that's usually no good, guys. So, you know, just try to be yourselves. And believe me, these people have been interviewing thousands of people of their 20, 30 years of professional career. So don't think that they're fools. So let's begin. Tell me about something you did or failed to do that you now feel a little ashamed of. Wow. I do remember clearly one night I was supposed to be the house officer. When you're the house officer for the, my first residency program, it means that you carry three pages. You cover several services when you're on call and you're the only person in house along with your intern. And when you're the house officer, you're either in your second or third year. I was in my third year of residency program and that night was a especially busy night. When I came into the medical ward, I said hello to the nurses. I said, good evening, ladies. Is there anything I can do for you tonight? And they say, no, doctor, everything is pretty quiet. Nothing really going on. And this is something that you guys will experience. But as soon as I made it to my call room, they started calling nonstop. The pager would go off every minute. I probably answered within an hour about 50 pages, most of them from the same word and sometimes from the same nurses back to back. And this went on for... I would say several hours. I took about 15 admissions before one o'clock in the morning and I went back to my call room completely 
completely, completely tired and fatigued. Yeah. And oh I passed God. out. And what I feel bad about is that the pager kept going off. But this pager just became part of my dream. And I, oh. didn't, I didn't care about it. It was like part of my whole beautiful sleep. Oh my. And suddenly they start calling me overhead and they said, Dr. Alonso, Osorio House Officer, please answer your pages. Dr. Alonso, Osorio House Officer, please answer your pages. I even slept through that. And then I hear a few smacks on the door of my call room. And they were the security officers from the hospital <laughs> making sure that I was alive. So that's something that I really feel bad about. I would say as an excuse, I worked so hard that night and I was completely overwhelmed by the amount of pages, but I purposely didn't mean to. I, I actually felt that I was really rested for this long shift, but, you know, it's something that I will have to be more careful in the near future. Yeah. So here, if you are going to tell something, tell something like small or not that important mm -hmm. because, well, they are looking for you to tell that, right? Yeah, um, mine so, was a nuclear yeah. explosion, huh? Too much? Yeah, so some interviewers ask this question on the chance that you admit uh, to something, right? Yeah, for example, they ask you, what are you ashamed of? And then you say, well, you know, in medical school, my third year, I got into this crack cocaine bench and I was up for five <laughs> nights doing cocaine and I show up to my uh, family medicine rotation all messed up and I forgot to see my first five patients and I kind of that's bad you don't want to do anything like that i mean that's like uh if you have issues like that you better rethink yeah. it all over because that's not the way to do it yeah tell me about a case in which you had a conflict with a patient and how you solve it i deal with those on a regular basis for example i had a patient that said well doctor i had a patient last week that went to see his primary care physician i said hello doctor i would like to be tested for coronavirus and the doctor said oh really what kind of symptoms are you experiencing and his primary care physician told him no no symptoms any fever any cough no not nothing doctor and the doctor said well then the test is not really indicated for you so this patient takes an ambulance and comes to see me in the emergency department requesting a coronavirus test And he was only Spanish speaking and all the mm -hmm. nurses didn't really understand what he was there for. Yeah. And I said, how can I help you, sir? And I said, no, I want the coronavirus test. And I said, okay. And I asked him the same questions. Are you having any fever, et cetera? And he said, no, no, no to all of those. But then I asked him, excuse me, I would like to know really what are you looking for and what makes you call an ambulance that is getting paid by the government for you to come and see me for something that your primary doctor already addressed. Were you having a trust issue? I was really trying to unveil what was the significant concern that this old man had. And he said, no, I'm just going to visit my wife in ex Costa Rica. And I just wanted to make sure I have a negative test. So when I go and see her, you know, I, I can kiss her and hug her. And I just had a nice sit-down conversation explaining him the reason why, if he had no symptoms, that he, he had been quarantining himself, how most likely he was not going to be infected or infect his wife, especially if he was smart enough to wear a mask in public. Yeah, so for this, we can use the star word that you already explained it in the last episode. So as is the situation, T task, A action, and our result that 
it was just what you did, right? Yeah, I did it well on that one, by the way. Yeah, yeah, you did. Awesome. Yes. You see, guys, <laughs> Dr. Rodriguez is tricky, but I'm, I'm making it happen. So tell me about a mistake you made during the time you have worked as a physician. This one is uh, one that I was doing my internship in Colombia, and we were uh, cleaning the abdomen, ready to do a surgical closure for after an exploratory laparotomy for a gunshot wound. And please understand the circumstances of the type of hospital that I was working. My teaching hospital, despite the fact that it's a teaching hospital in Latin America, I would consider my hospital being a remarkably poor hospital, and they carry the sterile saline solution to wash the endocavitary organs in one area and they carry the alcohol isopropyl alcohol also inside the OR that shall not be inside the OR and I was the main assistant so I had seen the nurse pouring this uh, sterile saline to do cavity washout before you close the abdomen and I reach out for the saline but they actually had exchanged it for a cup that contained alcohol and having the mask and my surgical gown on, I didn't realize what it was. And I gave my attending isopropyl alcohol to oh. wash the endocavitary organs. And then he started doing the cautery with the bobby, with the electrical cautery. And suddenly we start feeling heat coming from there. And you cannot see the flame from isopropyl alcohol. It was transparent. And suddenly we start realizing that, that the bowel starts getting cooked out and getting this appearance. This was horrible, guys. And my attending is like... What in the world is this? Obviously, there were so many mistakes done throughout the process. And I would say, you know, it was not properly labeled. And first of all, if you really look at the root cause, probably alcohol should have never been inside the OR. So this patient for having potentially not my personal mistake from not labeling properly a solution content, you know, led to a horrible patient outcome. I felt extremely bad. I was just a medical student. I was just assisting to kind of hold and keep the abdomen open and just suction and pass the compresses and so forth. You know, guys, what it's like. And this devastated me. I never experienced anything like that. So I will always live with this. And, and now I would say I'm more careful. I double check. I triple check. I look at the concentration of the medications that I'm going to use, the volumes, the content, the concentration, the percentages. So I learned from that. You know, unfortunately, in our country back then, 25 years ago, there is no medical legal system. It was a significant medical error. My attending addressed that properly and apologized to the family and the patient, but this patient had an open abdomen for like three months. Okay. It was bad. So, yeah, but the important thing of this is like what you learned about yeah. it, right? I, I learned about yeah. root cause analysis, for uh -huh. example. I learned about checking twice, you know, confirm mm -hmm. and verify the nurses, the nurses are the doctor, one amp of bicarb, 50 milliequivalents IV push, correct? Yes, ma'am. 50 milligrams of IV bicarbonate IV push one. I know that communication labeling your syringes, etc. that's all crucial to minimize medical errors. That's and also the attending uh, told the truth to the family. That's also. Yeah, that's also yeah. when you want to deal with medical errors, telling the truth and not hiding mm -hmm. what happened is fundamental. Potentially could minimize the liability. Okay. so Sorry about it, guys, but that was a true story that carries me through this day. And I bet yeah. that many of you have similar histories to that. So the next one. Tell me about a case in which you had to work under pressure. I had a patient that they were actively doing CPR on my residency program director. I, I have had about five central lines 
during my first few months of residency training. And this was an actively coding patient. And I had to put a cortis, which is this huge catheter. And, you know, we had no peripheral access. We had no IOs. And he wanted me to pour the femoral cortis. And it was probably one of the most challenging things because everybody's looking at you. And you have the senior resident, you're attending physicians, you have all the trauma nurses looking at you and, and you need to get that vein and canalize that, that catheter really, really fast. And I just went back to my basic learnings, one, two, three, took a deep breath and just kind of went for it. And I was lucky enough that I got in my first attempt and I was successful at it. But definitely, yes, so definitely I felt the pressure. So with this, you have to tell a vivid example or a goal or a project that you accomplish under severe pressure. One of my colleagues said once to me that she became an emergency physician. She decided to become an emergency physician during her experience of, of working in Wall Street as a trader. And having the pressure of dealing with multiple situations at the same time, multiple people getting phone calls, texts, computers, and so forth, looking at the stock markets, buy or sell, the significant pressure made her realize that she wanted to work in high pressure environments with high stakes. And, and she used that as a life experience that she could relate into why she wanted to become an emergency doctor. This has been fun, Dr. Rodriguez. She's sorting through the questions, looking at her <laughs> computer, trying to make me look bad and see if I can... <laughs> You know who's going to be laughing at us? Dr. Shay Dada, because she does this with her students. And I just thought that doing this would be a little bit of enlightenment to our listeners on, on how mm -hmm. it's supposed to be done. Yeah, now that we are getting closer to the next cycle. Yes, so, oh my God, that's really scary. Yeah. And so let's talk about the tricky questions, the illegal things that they shouldn't be asking you. So guys, what we mean by that is that anywhere in the world, but sometimes in our countries, specifically in South America, people get very familiar with you. Oh, really? And how many kids you have? And are you married? And how long you've been married? And this and back and forth. And they shouldn't be asking you anything about that has to deal with religious preferences. For example, if you're Muslim and you celebrate Ramadan, you know, you should not let, nobody can ask you about your religious preferences because, you know, you, if you do your fasting during Ramadan, you, you figure it out. Even if you're on call or not, you're going to figure it out. They cannot ask you if you're Jewish, for example. Do you expect to wear every Christmas or not? Do you think that the fact that you're Jewish is going to affect you taking shifts during Christmas time or not? You know, uh, they cannot ask you anything about your race. Oh, really? You're Colombian. And how do you call yourselves Colombian? What kind of people are you? Caucasian, white, Hispanic? Nothing of that can be asked. Mm -hmm. Neither your sexual orientation. Obviously, some people are very flamboyant on their demeanor, but they cannot suggest or imply that you're gay or not. Uh, so, yeah. so they cannot ask you anything about sexual orientation. They cannot ask anything on women regarding maternity, on maternity leaves and yeah. how kids they're going to expect to mm -hmm. have during residency training. Let's say Dr. Rodriguez gets into pediatrics, falls in love. During her senior year, she's pregnant. She's expected to have her first baby during her senior year. They cannot ask her, Dr. Rodriguez, we want a fully committed senior resident. Do you see mm -hmm. yourself getting pregnant by year number three? You know, those kind of things cannot be really touched upon. And, and actually, you could report the program to the American Association of Medical Colleges, you know, for doing that. So it's just a few things that are sometimes different than what they are in our countries. And, and you kind of need to learn with that, uh, go along with that. But, you know, just tread carefully. Yeah. So you have the legal right to not to answer the question, right? 
if you want, like you don't have to. Yes. But if you want to, well, you can do it. Like, yeah, you're not. It's up to you. You're not obligated to answer. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, w I wouldn't like to speak about that. And they have to respect your personal preference on not wanting to discuss any of those issues or that specific matter, correct? Mm -hmm. The problem with this is that sometimes this can destroy the report. Right? Yeah. yeah. It could destroy the report specifically. You know, sometimes uh, when you see programs in neurosurgery, for example, it's extremely rare to see a woman becoming a brain surgeon. Why? Because these poor women are seven, eight years in a path, but they cannot really ask you, oh, if you're going to be a neurosurgeon, you realize that you're not supposed to get pregnant. They have to give you the accommodations to yeah. your baby, have the maternity leave. Other residents have to pitch in. You know what? If the program really wants you, if they want Dr. Daniel Rodriguez, if they want Dr. Osorio, they want Dr. Peter X, is there a reason they're going to need to learn to deal with it? And they all know that there is a percentage, and I bet that they know what is the percentage, 15, 20, 30% of women in graduate medical education actually conceived and delivered their babies during residency programs. I had a partner of mine during my training program that delivered a baby every year over three years. I mean, they cannot do anything about it, but I can tell you that it definitely affected her clinical performance, and, and you saw it reflected on her long-term outcome as a resident, but they kind of have a legal action against you, you know? Yeah, so, what you can do is just to give a diplomatically answer, like about the concern behind the question, without answering the question itself. Yes, and guys, we're going to be potentially putting some material for you guys. Dr. Uh, Rodriguez has been working really, really hard at creating a phenomenal ebook, and we're going to try to figure out how we're going to get it out to you. A reasonable, affordable price. And this is the first time that I probably bring something up like this, but I can tell you, you all are going to benefit from the quality of the material that she's putting together. And we're going to continue to work on it. We're going to sit down and, and make it look excellent. But I can tell you that after all this practice that we have had and all the time that she has invested on becoming a better interviewee. I think you're ready for this, this season. How do you feel about it, Daniela? Well, I feel way better, more uh, confident about myself. Right now, I've been doing a lot of things, so I have a lot to offer. So yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm going to give you feedback, guys, and you probably have seen Dr. Daniela Rodriguez growing in our program. Her presence on, under the camera, it is impressive. The articulation of her English has gotten significantly better. Her posture, her demeanor, uh, her shoulder uh, position had really allowed her to project her voice. Uh, she's more relaxed on social interactions, and definitely she feels much more confident with the spoken English. And yeah. I think if we're doing this by video, you're going to be able to make it in person if that happens to be the case. Yeah, I know. Anything else that you have found out about what's going to happen? I think every program director is getting ready to do Zoom interviewing. Yeah, that's what um, some friends have told me, that they are uh, like organizing everything to do the Zoom interviews. What we're going to do, guys, is we're going to have some material available at your request. I'll be more than happy to supply all the questions that you're going to be asked. They're available on the internet. I can offer you a link on the show notes. And I always do this, a call to action. Guys, 
Daniela Rodriguez and I are here because we completely rely on your downloads. Getting the message out there by each and one of you is going to be crucial for the success of our community. We need to grow together, grow a strength in numbers. And as Dr. Correa said, we need to support each other. I want more people reaching out to me with feedback, opinions, anything negative, anything bad, anything good, because the only way to know if we're doing something that is helping you guys out there is to get some sort of feedback from you guys. So if you really think we're doing a good job or a bad job, just make us aware and we're going to do the best that we could do to make it better. And Dr. Rodriguez, it's been about five or six podcasts that we've been putting together. I don't want this to come to an end, but I have to say goodbye. And this is going to be my my uh, invitation to you since you're going to match and you're going to be successful and you're going to do well i want to bring you back exactly within the first few days after your success to celebrate with us and tell us what were the emotions that were going through your your body because if anybody gets to understand the commitment that this young lady has for fulfilling her dreams it is impressive and I can relate to you very much so. I can tell you that it makes me remember of the commitment and the passion that I had and how easy it is sometimes to think that you want to give up. I hope that through our interaction and through our message, more than one of you guys out there decides to change their mind and keep persevering and fulfill your dreams. Because my job right now as a 42-year-old emergency physician, having had been in the United States for 20 years, the only reason why I'm doing this, guys, is to to kind of get you, make you better. And that's where we're doing this. So anything else, Danny, to wrap it up? Well, I've been doing some videos also to explain doctors. I already talked about my group in the last episode. No, but remind us, remind us. He never hurts. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so my group is called USA Residency Match Never Give Up. You can find it on Facebook. And there I have uh, really good videos that I have done. And also there's a lot of people that they have shared a lot of information. I will be happy to have you guys there. So join Dr. Rodriguez. Keep making her group grow. Keep making my group grow. And I say from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys for listening. And be ready for some more goodness coming up to you anytime. With love from Tampa, Florida. Alonso Soria says goodbye. Thank you all. Bye.